You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. So before I start speaking, um, I just want to say, because I really, I know Greg has shared a little bit, but I just wanted to thank the body just publicly. Um, if you don't know me and Greg, kind of in the last couple weeks, we went through a miscarriage, and it's just been an emotional roller coaster. And the truth is, I've just, God's so funny like this. Like, something terrible happens, but then you see such beauty at the same time. I always wonder how that works. Like, God, like, why is everything so hard? And then it's so beautiful, but it's so hard, and it's so beautiful. And I just want to thank you guys. If you sent a text, if you prayed, I know the intercessors were praying for us. If you, you know, we had people giving us gift cards. My kids have, like, loving it. Like, they ate more pizza in the last two weeks than they have in their life. They're like, hey, Mom, you don't want to cook, do you? And I'm like, no. And then they're just like, we can order more pizza. I'm like, oh, gosh, okay. Um, yeah, they can't go to the bathroom, but they're living their best lives. <laughs> so, but I just wanted to thank everybody. You know, it's, you know, during this whole process of us going through this miscarriage, the baby didn't have a heartbeat. I, mean, I won't go into all the details, but it was like a six-week journey of, like, praying and believing God and God can do anything. But there's one point where we had, I don't know, probably 25 people in our living room leaders and friends that were all just praying and believing with us and it was just it just felt in the midst of this pain in the midst of this broken world I've got my daughter upstairs screaming with autism and kind of like being loud and acting crazy and and that's happening at the same time that I'm sitting in a room with 25 people believing God can do anything standing beside us while they're praying over a womb with a baby without a heartbeat in it. And I'm like, God, why is it such a mixed bag? But I'm telling you, that is life. The, the more I follow Jesus, and this might scare some people away, you might be like, I am leaving now. The harder my life becomes. So you're like, why are you signing up for this? But the more beautiful it becomes. And the more God uses you, they're all interrelated. So the, the more you follow Jesus, the harder your life is going to become. But the harder your life becomes, the more beautiful. It's, it doesn't even make sense. But it literally becomes more beautiful. And the more beautiful it becomes, the more God uses it. So I just want to say thank you. That has nothing to do with my message. But I've just been so overwhelmed with the people that God has put in our lives, the faith that people have. Do you know, you know, somebody said to me, don't you wish maybe you didn't announce so early that you were pregnant? Like, you're 41 and, you know, high risk. And maybe if you didn't tell everybody, you know, it wouldn't have been as hard. It would have been harder. Because, and I'm not saying if you've done that, there's something wrong, that you shouldn't do that. But I want to tell you something. We're really good at hiding our weakness. And that's what this message is actually going to be all about. We think, I better protect myself and not let people know I'm struggling. But what that actually does is it isolates you. So if I would have told no one, first of all, I wouldn't have anybody to celebrate with us. Oh, my gosh, look what God can do. But I also wouldn't have anybody to walk with me. I wouldn't have anybody thinking about, oh, let's help them out. Let's get them a meal. I wouldn't have anybody praying. I wouldn't have anybody over to my house believing and standing in faith when I didn't have any. 
You see, we think we can do this life alone, and we think if we hide those broken places or we hide those vulnerable places, then we'll be better off. But we're actually ripping our own selves off. So I just want to thank you guys. That has nothing, well, kind of has to do with my message. But so if you have your notes, I don't even have a set of notes in front of me. That's a little scary. <laughs> I have my notebook. But um, we've been doing this series, and I know Greg spoke last week was such a good message. If you weren't here last week, you should go back and listen to Greg's message. I think he spoke in Augensburg and Messina. But we've been talking about knowing God, right? Like this idea that you, God wants us to know him and not just like head knowledge, right? It's easy to know about him. It's easy to study your Bible, but the Pharisees knew all about their Bible and Jesus was right in their face and they missed it. They killed him, right? So we can know about God and not actually know him. And so, you know, Greg talked a lot about like offense, like when things don't go the way we think they're going to in life and how that we got to want God more than we want even the promises of God. Well, I want to talk to you guys today about knowing God and why we need to walk with a limp, okay? So we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Um, but before we, we start in on kind of that idea, I have a confession to make, okay? Talking about being vulnerable here. My confession is this. So when I was a kid, there was something that I told very few people that I aspired to be. I told people that I wanted to be like a cartoonist and like work for Disney and draw cartoons. Then I wanted to be an art artist or art teacher. And then I wanted to just be a teacher. And then I got saved and I experienced God. I wanted to be a youth pastor. But there was something, even before all of those other things, that I de desired to be. And I haven't really told anyone. But I'm going to tell you right now. It was a WWF wrestler. Well, it's WWE now. I don't know. I forget why they had to change it all. Okay, anybody else ever decide? No, of course not. Everyone's like, what? Why did you watch that? So when I was a kid, I used to watch my, I had a brother, okay, an older brother. And we used to watch WWF. We actually went to a wrestling meet, or not meet, match. I don't know what it's called. Once. And I had this, like, wow, I thought there was Hulk Hogan I thought was so cool. Now, and most, only the older people in the room even know who he is, right? The big mustache. I think he was Christian, too, which I didn't know that then. But so he was just so cool. And I just thought they were, like, awesome. But I remember the day that my brother told me, now, if you don't know this, I'm going to break your heart, that it's not real. I said, what do you mean it's not real? He's like, well, they're not really fighting. It's like a choreographed dance. Like, they, they know, you know, and that the, the thing they wrestle on, their ring, it's all, like, bouncy. It's kind of like a trampoline, so they can bounce right back up and stand back. I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean it's not real? It was like him telling me Santa wasn't real. It was like that life earth-shattering. Like, what? They're not really fighting each other, you know? Um, but I say all this because there is somebody we want to talk about in the Bible today that was the greatest wrestler of all time. He beat Hulk Hogan, and his name was Jacob, okay? So the name Jacob itself, you can even see there on your notes. The reason I want to talk about Jacob before I actually talk about his name is because there's very few people in the Bible who saw God or knew God face to face. First one I always think about is Moses, right? So it says that he would commune, he'd talk with God face to face, which is just crazy to think about, right? You know, you're not closing your eyes and imagining him and praying to him. He was like face to face with God. 
some people would say Enoch was that close with God. I mean, the Bible only mentions Enoch in this super short verse. But it says he walked with so close with God that he didn't even die. Sign me up for that one. God just took him one day. Like, hey, you ready to go? Sure. I don't know what that looks like. But I, I like that. I'm, I'm good with, like, the no heart attack, no cancer, no dying, like, in a bed, in a hospital, in a nursing home. I just want to go, God, right? So there's people, but there's very few people in the Bible that we see, and they knew God face to face. But Jacob was actually one of them. But it was kind of a long time before he experienced that face-to-face with God. Um, so his name meant fighter or wrestler. Um, I, I didn't put it in your notes. It was just a typo. I put surplanter twice. A surplanter is just somebody that's, like, always trying to scheme, right? You're always trying to deceive. I mean, his name actually, if you literally translate it, means heel grabber. Like, okay, what's that all about? So we're going to read real quick. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Genesis 25. Just going to read a little bit about Jacob's life. So Jacob was a professional WWE wrestler before he was even born. Before he was born, okay? So chapter 25 of Genesis, starting in verse 21. It says, Isaac, so this is his father, prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she had no children. And the Lord answered her prayer, his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. So she ended up having twins, right? My sister's here today. She'll be embarrassed. But she really wanted kids, couldn't wait to have kids. Her husband was like, oh, you can have, we can have one. Well, she prayed and prayed and prayed and then found out she was pregnant for twins. She's like, two for one. <laughs> you know, so um, this is what happened with Rebecca. So Rebecca finds out she has twins. And there was no sonograms back then, though, right? So no pictures. No gross gel. I'm so sick of that gel. It's not even funny. Okay. And it says, the babies jostled each other within her. And she said, what is happening to me? So if you've ever actually been pregnant and felt a baby, like, kick you in the gut or whatever, and your foot's stuck in your rib, I can't imagine two. And not just two babies in there, but two babies in there fighting with each other. So Jacob was wrestling before he ever came out which is just crazy to me, and the reason why, well, we'll keep reading. So she says, why is this happening to me, right? Like, what is going on inside my stomach, God? And so it says she inquired of the Lord. But I want to tell you, if you're birthing something in the, the spirit, if God's birthing something in you, you better expect conflict in your womb. I'm going to say that again. If you are trying to birth something in the spirit, you better expect conflict in your womb. Because there's an enemy that doesn't want you to birth the very thing that God created you to birth. Right? And so what does she say? Why is this happening to me? Anybody ever say that? I tell you what, this last couple weeks, I'm looking at the sonogram with no heartbeat again and again and saying, why is this happening to me? Right? But it's because God's trying to birth something and the enemy's trying to rob it from so she acquires, inquires of the Lord, and the Lord says to her, verse 23, there are two nations in your womb, and two peoples from in you will be separated. One person will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So he's talking about Jacob, right? Okay. And Esau is his brothers. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. Any hairy guys in here? 
No one admits it, right? <laughs> it's okay to be hairy. Okay. <laughs> I got to tell you, this has nothing to do with anything. My daughter, like a couple weeks ago, she's 10. So she hasn't really gone through puberty. And she lifts up her armpit and she goes, Mom, what is this? And it's like the longest hair I've ever seen. Just one. And I was like, it's only the beginning of it. So anyway. <laughs> so. It says, the first was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. And after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, heel grabber. So they named him Jacob. Okay. So we're going to stop there. So that's where Jacob gets his name. He is a wrestler before he's even born. He's fighting for what he thinks is his. Okay. Um, which sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. And we're going to see how that works out in his life. Um, but to understand why he'd be fighting so hard to be the firstborn. It's not like, you know, have you ever met twins? They're like, I'm older. Like by five seconds. Doesn't really count, you know. <laughs> they got to admit, like, I'm the oldest one. Like, okay. like You know. Um, but it was more than that. In biblical culture, to be the firstborn was like you were the leader. You were going to be giving the leadership and the authority in your family. There's going to be a moment when your dad was older and he was going to, you know, ready to die almost. He was going to pass on. Most of his inheritance went to the firstborn. Like, you know, most of it and then a small percent went to the other boys. So the firstborn was the leader, had the authority, was going to get most of the inheritance. So it was way bigger than just, I'm one second older than you, Esau. It was, it was, you know, I want that birthright. I want to be born first. And isn't that how we live in life? The me first mentality. Right? I got to get that promotion. I can't let the other guy get it. I've got to be better than somebody else in some way, right? Like, I got to be smarter. I got to get better grades. I got to be faster. I got to be, look younger. I don't even know the things we try. Our kids got to be the best hockey player, the best basketball player. That everything has to be better, right? Because there's something in us that wants to be first. And so this is this kind of thing that Jacob is struggling with his whole life. Um, but you don't, you know, it's funny. If somebody tells me they don't believe in the idea of original sin, and if you don't know what that means, it just means, like, we're born into sin. I always laugh at them and think, well, you probably haven't had kids yet. <laughs> right? Because they prove it immediately. Like, my youngest daughter's first word was no. And I would ask her things she likes. Like, hey, do you want to watch Yo Gabba Gabba? No. Really? You don't? Do you want to eat ice cream? No. And then her second word, you know, everybody's like, oh, what they say? Mama, dada. No. Mine. No and mine. Isn't that funny? Those are the first words that come out of our kids sometimes. It's because we are born with this selfish nature. We can't help it. We are born into it. Um, and Jacob struggled with this most of his life. So, but here's the thing. So we're going to flip over. We're going to kind of fast forward in time a little bit. Go to Genesis 27. Because Jacob was born wrestling and he didn't stop wrestling. So Genesis 27, we're going to see. So first he's already stolen the birthright by being the first one to come out. But now he's going to steal his father's blessing. So I'm just going to read, just bear with me for a minute, because it's easier for me to read you kind of the story, and then we'll talk about it. It says, when Isaac was old, and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, I think he was like 130, guys, we're talking old, okay, he called for his son, for his son Esau, and said to him, my son, 
Esau said, here I am. Isaac said, I'm now old, and I don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and your bow, and go out into the country to hunt some wild game. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like, and bring it to me to eat, so that I may give you the blessing before I die. So he's realizing he's going to die soon, and he wants to give Esau this blessing, right? Um, lost my place. Okay, now Rebecca, so this is, you know, his wife, Isaac's wife, was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. And when Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebecca said to his her son Jacob, so you shouldn't have favorites when you have kids, right? But this is what's happening. Esau lo- or Isaac loved Esau because, like, he was the hunter. He brought all the tasty meat, and he loved, you know, loved that. But Rebecca loved Jacob because he was kind of like, he liked to cook, he liked to be home, he liked to dwell in the tents, it says. like So she, he was kind of like mama's boy. Okay, so Rebecca hears all of this, and she says to Jacob, look, I overheard your father say to your brother, bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just as he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, but my brother Esau is a hairy man where I have smooth skin. (laughs) He was clean shaven. What if my father touches me and I appear to be tricking him? That would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. But his mother said, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say and go and get them for me. Now, whenever I've read this story, I always thought they were like teenagers, right? I don't know. In your mind, you think like young adults, teenagers. He's just got to listen to his mom. He doesn't really want to do it, but his mom talks him into it. Actually, do you know how old they were? He was 77 years old. They were both 77. So I'm thinking, okay he can take some responsibility for this one, right? You know, so I don't know, like, it's one thing to honor your parents, but he could have easily said no, right? So then it says, Jacob said, Jacob said to Rebecca, his mother, oh, I read that, sorry. Then his mother said to him, oh, I read that too, hang on. So verse 14, so he went and he got them and he brought them to his mom and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebecca took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which he had in the house. I don't know why still they still got their clothes in their mom's house at 77, but that's just a, another question. I'll have to ask God one day. <laughs> and she also covered his hands and the smooth parts of his neck with goat skins. Then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went to his father and said, My father, yes, son, who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me, because sit up and eat some of the game that I have made so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly? And the Lord, and, and sorry, and Isaac replied, or Jacob replied, the Lord your God has given me great success. Oh, yes, the God, God is blessing his lying and deceiving right now, apparently. So Jacob went close to his father, and, and Isaac touched him, and he said, the voice, that this voice is the voice of Jacob, but your hands seem like the hands of Esau. 
He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked. I am, he replied. And then he said, my son, bring me some of your game so that I may eat, so they may give you the blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to kiss him, and Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, and he blessed him, and he said, I'm not going to read the whole blessing, but it says, after Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too had prepared tasty food and brought it to the father. And when his father saw him, he said, my father, please sit up and eat some of the game so that I may receive your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, who are you? I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him. And indeed he will be blessed. When Isaac heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said this to his father. Bless me, God, father, me too, my father. But he said, your brother has deceitfully taken your blessing. So I'm going to stop there. So he's wrestling and fighting and deceiving again, right? So the first point I have on your notes, and you can fill in the blank if you like to fill in the blanks, is this. If you want to know God... You have to stop controlling things. Okay? If you really want to know God, not know about him, not even want what he wants, but if you really want to know him, you have to stop trying to control things. It's not enough to just want what God wants. Because if you remember when Rebecca, when the twins were in her stomach and she says, why is this happening to me? God said to her, the younger is going to, the older is going to serve the younger. He had already picked Jacob, but Jacob kept thinking he had to accomplish God's will, right? So it's not enough to just want what God wants. We have to allow God to accomplish it. We can't do it in our own strength, right? Some of you guys might have things that God has promised you in your life. Maybe something you're standing on in prayer or maybe it's been years and you're believing something for maybe your kids or you're believing something for your marriage or for your life. Don't we do this? We try to make it happen. We do all the things like, oh, I'm believing my kid's going to come back to God. He's going to come back to God. So I'm going to conveniently play this worship song while I'm in the car. And then I'm going to give them this devotional. And then nothing's wrong with that. But can you see how we're always trying to make the thing that the promise that God has, but we're trying to do it in our own strength, right? Or God's promised me that he's going to bless me financially. So I'm going to do all of these things and like strive and work and connive to get my way to get that position so that I can finally feel like I'm financially stable. Well, is that you doing something in your own strength or is that you trusting God for the things that he's promised you, right? It's easy to blur that line. Um, I might have talked about this once before, I think, a couple years ago. But my, my husband, we're Hurlbutts, and we always make this joke that Hurlbutts have the curse of capability. Anybody you know what I'm talking about? You don't have to be a Hurlbutt to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Michelle's over there shaking her head, right? Because if you're really capable, you don't really need God because I'm going to figure it out. 
And most of our lives, even as Christians, we spend figuring it out and controlling things instead of trusting God. And we don't actually know him. We just know about him because we're being God. Let me just tell you guys, newsflash, God doesn't need your help. Of course, he wants us to work with him. But it's not your job. If somebody gives you a promise, it's their job to fulfill it, not yours. Right? If I promised you at the end of the week I'm going to give you $1,000, I do not have it, sorry. <laughs> um, it would be my job to figure out how I'm going to get that $1,000 to you at the end of the week. It's not your job to be like, hey, remember. Remember me. Remember what you said. Hey, do you need help with that? Do you need me to go to the bank for you? Like, no. I'm the one that made the promise. It's my job to fulfill it. It's your job to wait. Don't like that, though, do you? <laughs> it's not quite as fun, right? So, you know, there's a saying that says God helps those who help themselves. That's not true. God helps those who can't help themselves. And so he puts us in these positions. I'm not saying he causes everything in our life. Some of the things are the enemy. But he puts us in these positions where we feel helpless. So that we can actually learn to depend on him and not our own strength, right? So what's the end result with Jacob? So yeah, he gets, he steals the birthright. He steals his father's blessing. Then Esau's furious and wants to kill him. So Jacob has to flee. He literally has to flee his house. He can't even live there anymore because of what he's done. So he thinks he's like, oh, I'm just helping God out. Actually, you're really screwing things up. And that's what happens when we try to control stuff. And we try to make things happen. Even if they're good things that God wants, we actually end up delaying the process. Okay? Um, so basically what happens, I'll just kind of tell you in a nutshell, Jacob flees. He ends up going, you know, where his ancestors were from. He meets a woman named Rachel who he falls in love with. So Rachel's father is Laban, and Laban says, okay, you can marry her if you work for me for seven years, right? Oh, you got to love that, like kind of like indentured servant thing, right? So he works for seven years, and then Laban's like, um, okay, uh, I'm actually going to give you my other daughter because she was the oldest. So they, like, he tricks them, and instead of marrying the person he loved, Rachel, he ends up marrying Leah, and so then he goes back to his father-in-law and says, hey, this is the wrong girl. This isn't who I love and who I want to be with. And he's like, yeah, I know. Well, just work for me for another seven years, and then you can have Rachel. So isn't it funny? Look at Jacob's reaping what he sows, right? Deceiving, controlling, conniving, fighting, wrestling, and all of a sudden, Laban's doing the exact same thing to him because we reap what we sow. It's a principle. You can't get away from it. doesn't matter if you run away. You're still going to reap what you sow wherever you go. Right? So he works 14 years. He finally marries Rachel, the one he loves. So in all of this time, 20 years have passed, okay, since he stole his father's blessing. 20 years, lots of drama. He's got two wives. We won't go there right now. Okay, that's a different sermon. 11 kids, and he's 97 years old. So he's getting old, guys. So point number two, if you want to know God, you have to stop rushing his timing. Anybody like to wait? Yeah, nobody, right? I always think, though, like, if you're in a doctor's office and you're in that waiting room, I mean, some people get mad and frustrated, but most of the time you know eventually it's going to be your turn. But I think about that sometimes in our relationship with God. 
nobody storms out of the waiting room and says, forget it, I don't even want to see this doctor. No, they know their turn is coming. But when we, when we think of God that way, we have no patience. We don't feel like our turn's coming. We feel like they forgot us in the waiting room, right? Actually, has that ever happened to anybody? <laughs> it's like, hello, I'm still here. Does anybody remember? I'm still waiting. Um, sometimes it feels like that with God. So, But if you want to know God intimately, you have to stop rushing his timing. One of the greatest tests we can pass as a Christian is the test of time. It's not fun. Nobody likes it. Um, you know, me, I am all about efficiency. Anybody like efficiency? Okay. So, like, if I go to Walmart, if I go anywhere, I'm, like, slightly running. <laughs> like, because I can do it faster. And Greg is the opposite. Greg's like, <laughs> So I hate going to any stores with him because he's, like, meandering along. And I'm like, let's go. Come on. Like, you know, until I see someone I know. Then, we're <laughs> then I stop and talk for a long time. So, but... But because I want to be efficient, I like to get somewhere fast. But God's not really like that. God doesn't seem to care about efficiency. God is more like, have you guys ever seen that movie Up? The old man with the walker with the tennis balls on the bottom. Carl Fredrickson. You guys know what I'm talking about? If you don't know, you may have seen a picture of him. That's how God moves sometimes. <laughs> God, we got stuff to do. We got people to be and people to see and things to do. And we got to keep moving, God. He's like, <laughs> little squeaky wheels. You need some oil on that. That's the way God works. Why? Isn't it maddening? Why? Because God, this is the thing. We want efficiency to get stuff done in the shortest. Efficiency is when you get stuff done in the shortest period of time, right? But God wants to get your heart right. And he's willing to wait as long as it takes. We want to get stuff done in the quickest amount of time. God says, I got all eternity. We're going to get that heart right before you're going to do anything. So he's willing to wait. He's willing to wait until we're 97 to get it right. Um, so we're going to read one more little section of Genesis. We're going to flip over to Genesis 32. So we're moving ahead in time. And um, basically what happens here is Jacob, God tells Jacob, okay, you have your two wives, you have your 11 kids. I want you to return to your homeland. I want you to return to your dad, Isaac. I want you to go back home. So long story short, he finally is released. His father-in-law allows him to go. He you know, tries to sneak away, but God gives him a dream and says you need to let Jacob return home. But he's kind of freaked out. Like, he's so excited to see his father. He hasn't seen his dad in 20 years. But he's petrified to see who? His brother Esau, right? Because he also hasn't seen him since he stole his father's blessing. And his fear is, he's going to kill me. If I show up at home, like, hey, dad, I'm home. Esau's going Esau's to get his bow and, like, shoot me. He's going to kill me. He was a hunter. He, was, he had all the weapons, you know. Jacob had a frying pan. <laughs> it was not a fair fight, right? So he was worried about that he was going to die. And then to make matters worse, a rumor from one of Jacob's servants is, like, actually, Esau's coming to meet you. He heard you're coming home. So he's coming. Uh, oh, yeah, my brother's going to meet me. Oh, but he has 400 men with him. So it kind of makes you feel like it's probably not like, oh, we're so excited to see you. It's like we're going to kill you. 
So he's petrified. So he takes his wife, or two wives, <laughs> and his 11 kids, and he sends them across the river so he knows they're safe because he knows Esau's coming towards him. And I just want to pick up right there. <clears throat> in verse, uh, chapter 32, verse 22, it says, That night Jacob got up and he took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, and they crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. You know, God does his best work when we're alone. When we stop relying on everybody else. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I won't let you go until you bless me. So first of all, let me just say, the man, a lot of times you see in the Old Testament uh, a phrase called the angel of the Lord, okay? And most scholars believe this was Jesus, right? So nobody knew who Jesus was yet. He hadn't come to the earth. So it was like Jesus coming to wrestle with Jacob, which is a very interesting thing, right? But this is what Jacob's been doing his whole life. He wrestles with everybody. He fights for everything, right? So the man is like Jesus, okay? How many of you guys have ever been in a season where you feel like you're wrestling with God? I'm in one right now. It's not always a bad thing, okay? We're going to talk about why. See, Isaac, or, you know, Jacob had this stubborn tenacity, I was thinking of Isaac because my son Isaac wrestles, okay? He's only been wrestling a year. This is the second, you know, year of wrestling. And um, he's terrible. <laughs> he tries, but he, he just, you know, some of these kids have been wrestling since they're like five. And he's just kind of learning all the moves and what to do and what not to do. And he has no clue how to pin someone. But the only reason he gets some points and he does decent is because he has this stubborn tenacity to not let somebody else pin him. He can't pin anyone. So he can't actually win a match, but he just refuses to let somebody else. And there is a stubborn faith that we need to have in this life. There's a stubborn tenacity that if you use it in the right way, so Jacob spent most of his life using it to deceive and control, but when he started to focus on God, all of a sudden it was a good thing. He had this stubborn faith where he said, God, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And that's what God wants for us. It says that he prevailed all night long. Um, there's a verse, I'm not going to turn in Hosea 12, where it talks about this, this story. And it says, Jacob struggled with the angel and he overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. He found him at Bethel and he talked with him there. So there is just this tenacity which says, I won't let you go until you bless me. So Jacob didn't let discouragement stop him. He didn't let the fact that he was exhausted stop him. He didn't let the fact that all of these things were happening, he, his brother might kill him, but he didn't let it stop him from pursuing God. And there is something in us that has to do the same thing. You know, all hell can come against me, but I'm still going this way. It doesn't matter if it's easier for me to quit. I am still holding on to you, God. There has to be that in you. That's why I love that, that song that they just did, the tear off the roof. 
if you've ever heard of the Brandon Lake version, maybe you haven't, but you check it out. But I love that song because there's this stubbornness of, I don't care if I can't get in the door, I'm going through the roof. I don't care if there's a whole crowd around Jesus. I'm busting through the crowd and I'm grabbing onto him. God desperately wants us to be desperate for him. But most of the time we just hang back. If he's got time, God, if you can maybe possibly, I don't want to be a bother, but God actually wants us to wrestle with him. He wants us to say, I need you, God, and I'm not letting go until you bless me. There's a stubborn faith that he wants us to rise up in our hearts. So I'm just going to read verse 27 and 28 real quick. <clears throat> and it says, then the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Remember, the man's Jesus. Then, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with humans and you have overcome. And Jacob asked, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? But then he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Penel, saying, it is because I have seen God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Penel, and he was limping. Yeah, worship team can come up. He was limping because of his hip. So, God changes Jacob's name to Israel. And it's, this word, Israel, is like a compound word. What it is, is it's two words. It's like Sarah and El. So El means God. And Sarah means like to wrestle, to fight, or to win. Right? So really, it means God wins. Okay? So Jacob spent his whole life wrestling. And finally, in this moment, God wins. Okay? So if you want to look in your notes right there, it says... I think we said, if you want to know God, you need a stubborn faith that won't let go. And then if you want to know God, number four, it requires complete surrender. Now, there was a time in my life where, I mean, it kind of sounds like a joke, but it wasn't, where I was so mad at God, I wanted to, like, hand in my letter of resignation. Like, I'm done. I'm done. I quit. You know, cursing at him yelling at him, mad. And you know what I felt like he said to me? I said, I'm done with you, God. And he said, good. Now we can begin. Because there is a place where God's trying to break us. See, we think we need this breakthrough in our life. And we do. And God will do those things in seasons. But the truth is, what he really wants is to break you. He wants to touch the place of your natural strength, the place where you try to do it all on your own, the place where you try to control, the place where you try to determine what your life looks like. He wants to touch that place, that your hip in that muscle, the thigh muscle is the strongest part of your body. He wants to touch you where you think you're the strongest and make you the weakest. This is terrible. I, I, I joke a lot, guys, and I say, I... I really don't like being a special needs mom. And it's really just because it's about me. I love my kids. It's more that thing where people look at you and they go, oh, 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 let me get the door. Oh, you know, or you have a miscarriage and everyone goes, oh. And there's this feeling of being weak, of having people look at you and be like, oh, 
You got your little walker? You okay? You got a little limp in your hip? Oh, you okay? I don't like it. Nobody likes it. But what does the Bible say? It says, in our weakness, not God is strong, we are strong. How's that work? I need, Mason, come up here real quick. And then we're going to pray. He's like, what am I doing? There's nobody that would be more ready than Mason to be called on last minute. So it says that God touched Jacob's hip, okay? And for the rest of his life, he was continually reminded of who won. You know, I heard tore a tendon a year ago, and it was terrible. They said, it'd be better if you broke your foot. T tearing a tendon really bad is going to take a long time to heal. So for months and months, I was in a boot, then I had physical therapy. But even today, just like a month ago, Josh White, I'm in the office. I walk by Josh White, and he goes, you okay? I go, yeah, I'm fine. Why? And he's like, I don't know. You're walking with a limp. He's like, he has just a habit now. It doesn't even hurt me. I was like, gosh, I already have a spiritual limp. Now i got to have a literal limp, and everybody's going to be like, you okay? But why does he want us to limp? So this is where you come in, Mason. So if I've got a limp, here, come on this side, because I'm... This is where my limp is. Put your arm up. What do I got to do? Come walk with me. I got to lean. When I couldn't walk, when my foot, my tendon was torn, I had to lean on the counter all the time because I couldn't put pressure on it. When I got a limp, I got to lean into God all the time. I got to lean into God on my bad days. I got to lean into God on my good days. I gotta be reminded every day of this the fact that I've completely surrendered my life to him. And everybody's gotta look at me and go, aw, and feel bad for me. But guess what? In my weakness, I'm strong because I'm leaning on him. Thanks, Mason. So we're gonna stand, guys. We're gonna end in prayer. The number five, if you wanna know God. You have to walk with a limp. A.W. Tozer says, beware of any Christian leader who doesn't walk with a limp. We got to walk with a limp. It's the only way we move from a place of self-sufficiency to God-reliance. It's the only way we learn that I got to lean on God every day of my life. Not some days, not the bad days, not the hard seasons. Every day. I can't make it a day without you, Jesus. So, God, we just come before you right now and we say we want to know you. We don't want to just know about you. We don't want to just know other people's experiences, experiences of you. We want to know you personally. And if that means we have to be broken and if that means... We've got to walk with a limp. And if that means you have to break that natural strength in us, God, we say we want you. I want you. I want you, Jesus, more than I want anything else. And I'm not going to let go until you bless me. So, God, we come before you right now. And I pray that today, as, as you're just sitting in your seats, that you would just come to a place again of complete surrender. God, I don't want it my way. I don't want to make things happen. I don't want to fix it. I want your way. God, I want to trust you. I want to lean into you every day of my life, God.
just pray, God, if anybody needs prayer, the, the prayer team's in the back. If you want to come up front, you're welcome. We're just going to end in a worship song, and then Elaine will dismiss you. But feel free to take time to linger and say, God, I haven't been leaning into you. I haven't fully surrendered this area of my life. God, we give every ounce of it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.